Hi everyone, this is Ditch Diggers. Season 7, I want to say episode 9, probably? Sounds right, that sounds good, right? Okay. Ditch Diggers, here and ain't no wannabes here. With some not so nice advice for your writing career, to be clear. No punches will be pulled, but the punch may be spiked. How they like before they get on the mic. To my left, we got the mighty Mer Lafferty. And if I piss her off, believe me, she'll come after me. And her co-host, Matt Evan Wallace, on the right. Yes, she may be half as hype as she could take him in a fight. So settle in, folks, buckle in and boot up. Time to meddle in a way to make your writer shut up. It's hard work, but the perk is that it's fun and exciting. Facebook will still be there when you're done writing. Ditch Diggers! Matt is still gone, and uh, Cameron Hurley has been kind enough to exit her Airstream trailer behind her and come sit in her well-lit garden and talk to us and be not Matt for us. How are you, Cameron? Good to have you back again. Uh, It is, of course, good to be back as I am traveling around the globe (laughs) my Airstream trailer. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me back. Uh, it has been, whew, I feel like it's been a wild month, a busy month. I've been very busy since the last time we talked, which is good, good busy. Um, so yeah, good to be back. What busy can you tell me about? Uh, just the regular busy, I feel like. Uh, but, you know, I finally am making novel progress, you know, mm-hmm. as we discussed. Uh, that's very exciting for me after, you know, 18 months of pandemic, starting and stopping and starting and stopping. Uh, and I finally have something that I think I really like. Uh, and then just a lot of life stuff. You know, people are coming back into the house again, you know, they're vaccinated. Yeah, so there's been uh, a barbecue. We're going to have another barbecue this weekend. Um, and there's my, my husband actually went to a movie in a theater. Uh, again, Whoa. Like, I know. We haven't but, done that uh, yet. Yeah, I know. It's it's uh, it's weird. Um, so it just feels like it's that, that weird space of navigating um what the new normal is so yeah. there's a lot of that um and yeah just busy with again as i think a lot of people know i i have a day job i've got a patreon um i have to you know keep up with many i have to wear many different hats uh, again as you do as well um and so i've just felt, i just feel like i've just been staying very busy i mean doing a lot of yard work it's a beautiful yard um not yes. this one but uh, we do have a lot of yard work we're doing, and that's keeping us busy as well. Oh, and my, my best friend is coming out to visit for a week, uh, not next week, but the week after. That's so she's very exciting. To- Super exciting. And we haven't seen each other since right before the pandemic. She actually mm-hmm. came out to visit in February, uh, and then, yeah, then lockdown happened. So that'll be fun. Syrian. Great. Yeah, we started doing um, game night in the house again which has just been so strange having other people here. And the dogs are just like they've always been, so that's good. They haven't, like, suddenly decided that any human in the house, it's not us, it's someone who needs to be scared away. They're still just like, give me attention! No one gives me attention ever, 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 so. Oh, yeah, the dogs are loving it. They're Mm -hmm. loving it. Yes. So uh, let's say hello to people in chat. We got Ansel who's made it. Will who's made it. Will, I hope you don't get kicked out again. Uh, I don't know what happened last time, but I'm sorry. Uh, Zach, under Pope, Ansela, librarian, writer, geek, Sario. Kids are asleep, and Val didn't get her automatic shout-out, and I don't know why, so that's a fun thing. Um, 
Yeah, so welcome everybody. I am very pleased to have Cameron back because Cameron's always fun. Um, you are always fun. It's true. <laughs> um, so we, we, we tossed around a couple of ideas. Um, I'm actually not sure if Matt's alive or not because he hasn't answered my text at all. There's probably been activity somewhere online to show he's alive, but he has not answered me. So I don't have proof of life right now. What'd you say, Cameron? I was going to say, it's been whole minutes since you've heard from him. So, yeah, that's rough. Yeah. Hey, Tasha. Well, no, actually, it's been it's been a couple of weeks. Oh, really? Yeah. Although, you know, he and Jim spoke on Twitter, so I know, like, at least he's alive. And somebody's posting to his Instagram. Can't promise it's him, but I don't know. If you are new to the show, Ditch Diggers is a show that I do with my friend Matt Wallace. Uh, Matt is taking a little bit of time off this summer because he has a day job and, like, two book deals, I think? Something like that? So his, his career is going... Yeah, exactly. His career is going very well, but uh, he needed to cut something out just to get his, you know, lower his stress level a little bit. So we are, I have people coming on to hold the mat position and keep the seat warm, and then he'll be back this fall. So, uh, oh, <laughs> Zach says we need to send out the St. Bernards. Matt, we're sending out the St. Bernards to you. So anyway, Cameron and I tossed around a couple of ideas to talk about. Um, so the pandemic is the one in everyone's mind. And I've been thinking a lot today about how it's the, the long tail of the pandemic has uh, affected me and my writing. And I'm not even talking about being sick. It's like anybody who was actually sick, I feel so bad for because I just had like the, the existential terribleness of everything while other people actually got sick or lost people. But, you know, we're talking about where do we go from here? And that's as broad as you want to make it. <laughs> that's you, Cameron. Go. Where do we go? As old as... <laughs> no, I see Cameron. Fix it. Yeah. Uh, here's the thing. Um, a lot of things are going to change. And I think there's been a lot of people running back and forth going, oh, I just want to get back to normal. I want things to be normal. Well, it's not going to be normal. There will be a different normal. Uh, and that you should be expect that your writing is going to probably change. Your writing habits will change. Um, I know it is taking me a long time to figure out some kind of writing schedule uh, that works for me. Um, and because there's a lot of other, like, mental health stuff we're going through uh that is going to affect uh, affect our writing and 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 i think it's very easy to say you know you know i know it's easy but you know we focus on the physical health uh but from the very beginning you know i've heard about folks in wuhan who had agoraphobia uh who once they lifted restrictions could not go outside and i remember during the worst pandemic telling myself you need to leave the house at least once a week um, because there's going to be serious ramifications for some of this weirdness, right? Yeah. Um, we've, we've been under some weird ass, um, you know, shit that's gone down. So, uh, I don't think that it's fair to any of us to kind of expect that we're just going to go back to normal and our writing will be normal. And we're just going to keep churning out 60 books a year or whatever. Um, I think that our processes are going to change. Our careers are going to change. Certainly the market is, is changing. Um, and how how all of that uh, is going has been affected, I think is is we have yet to see. 
Um, so yeah, so I think this is just another reminder to everybody. I think again, as we were talking about, you know, our house, people are coming to the house again, and you know, we're starting to go outside again. Oh, the sun, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not be so hard on yourself to be like, well, now everything's fine. I mean, if it's, if that's not how it's, how it works, right? Because yeah. as we know, everything's not, it's still going, right? But yeah. but there were. To you know, kind of do the, some normalish activities or some different activities than we've been doing the last fourteen months. Um, you know, because of you know those of us who've been vaccinated and who have you know some friends and stuff who've been vaccinated. So I think that expecting there's going to be this mad rush to go out and and everything go back to normal it just isn't realistic. So just just be kind to yourself and your process and your work. Yeah. Um, and I feel like the reason I feel like I've gotten a lot done the last month is because I have been feeling better. Uh, it, it has been really rough. <laughs> it's been, yeah. It was a rough four years, a really rough 14 months. Um, yeah. And I just now kind of processing like, okay, I can, I can kind of do my stuff again without, um, without it feeling like such a slog or feeling, you know, quite as awful as it, as it did during the worst of it. So. Yeah. I know somebody who, um, well, first, in hindsight, it might have been a bad idea, but last summer, my daughter and I both had to have some uh, physical therapy. So mm-hmm. we were going, we, we'd sometimes get groceries delivered, sometimes would get them just brought to the car. But we were going out to the physical therapist pretty frequently. And the physical therapist was like super careful, you know, the, it was in the dead of summer. Is there a dead of summer? There's dead of winter. Anyway, there's the, the hot, hot part of North Carolina summer. And of course, we're going to show up sweaty. And so we got sent home once just because it was a hot day and my daughter had a slight temperature. They were that careful. So it's like we felt fine at the time. But in hindsight, I'm like, wow, I know people who didn't leave the house for weeks and we were going to these appointments. And um, I think that I think that did us. A, a good thing to not be so agoraphobic. I know my, uh, I, I won't say who, but I have a friend who is wondering if he's got a bit of PTSD because oh, yeah. uh, his his apartment complex was going against their own contract and just like sending people to his apartment to do repairs or something and not telling him and they were letting themselves in. And he's like, there are people in my house. And now whenever he sees like one of them drive by, he gets a spike of anxiety. Cause he's like, these people who come into my house and could bring a, a bring death. It's, <laughs> and he, he was like reading about the PTSD that you get from something like this. And he's like, I think I've got a little bit of that. And it's the stuff we're taking away from this. Um, and I'm seeing it in, the the slush I read, and I definitely am not going to say anything that's identifying of any of the stories that are sent to Escape Pod, but there is an air of just bleakness. There, There's like, we've got a lot of darker stories coming in, and not even like pandemic-specific stories, just like, it, it's, it's, we're looking for a little hope, and... <laughs> dark yeah. feelings. Yeah, there's there's some darkness coming in, and um, it's you see it everywhere. It's weird, and then you know it's like I felt good because yesterday I was running in my neighborhood and I saw, I guess technically lots of people. Not you know I live in a suburb, so lots of people is like one person every 
couple hundred yards, but still, I'm passing people. And they're everybody is either moving or expecting you to move. No one wants to walk right by each other. So I'm grateful that at least where I am, people are still just like, yeah, I don't want to breathe your air. I don't want you to breathe my air. We're good. Okay. So that's, that's been comforting, but I got to say, I, I, I do have that middle-aged white lady thing of at what point am I going to cross the street and not look like a polite pandemic fearing person and look like, oh no, a person of color. I better take my white lady ass and take it somewhere safe. And I know this has nothing to do with writing, but it was on my mind yesterday. Well, and I think, uh, you know, to your point, it's it's asking the question, because now the CDC has said, and again, it's perfectly fine to be outside with that amount. You need to be literally breath to breath with someone sure. for 30 minutes or something. Um, it's perfectly fine, right? That's what the science says. It's done the science. The problem is we've been doing this for 14 months. Yeah. <laughs> right? And so we have to ask ourselves, um, you know, if we were always going to believe the science, we we're always following the science, then when the science changes... We have to go, okay, it's okay. But we're human beings, and human beings, you know, we're, we're messy, emotional primates. Mm-hmm. And I did have to ask myself, at what point am I going to feel comfortable walking into a place with strangers, like, a, a, like a, a Walmart, for instance, or wherever, uh, without a mask among strangers? At what point? Where do we have to be? Zero COVID? Because that's not going to happen. Do, we, do I have to have, like... 85% of Ohio has been, you know, vaccinated. Do I have to be? I mean, then I, then it goes to, I have to find my own comfort level. Mm-hmm. And that's really hard because we've been so emotionally screwed up. Right. Um, cause the science says, Hey, 97.3% effective. You, you are probably fine. Yeah. yeah. And, but, but your emotional lizard brain is going, but you've been telling me we're all going to die for 14 months. So if we were not to change that quickly, I think um, it, it is going to take us a while to, to get through it. And there are going to be other spikes, and then there's going to be another spike in the winter. And, and I think there is going to be some, um, you know, putting up and, you know, taking the mask on and putting it off. And uh, I think there's going to be a year of figuring out, right, that that getting us to the new normal and what that looks like for everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's you're, you're right. It's the whole like I've trusted the science thus far. Why can't I? I mean, we have been edging out. We've gone to baseball games, but the baseball games are like they won't. They they separated a lot of us. They didn't sell all the seats. They made sure there were seats between people, um, and it was outside. Outside, but still, it felt really weird being in the, that big of a crowd and. Um, yeah, but we are yeah. supposed to be talking. Gonna- Sorry, <laughs> we're all just gonna be weird. It's just gonna be yes, weird. We're gonna be yeah. weird. Yes, uh, we got some talk in chat. We got um, in the south, summer is death. Yes, Sario. Uh, Kids are asleep. Has stopped trusting so many people. Lots of new hard feelings of loss of faith. Oh man, I'm sorry, Val. That sucks. Never much like people to begin with, says Tree Lobsters. Present company, spouse, offspring, a cat accepted a force. That's that's very kind, actually. Thank you. Um, Zach says I will be wearing the mask out of foreseeable future, CDC or no. I'm still mostly staying in. Uh, they say 97%, but my panic brain boils it down to 50-50. <laughs> panic brain does its own math. 
Yes, it does. Um, hey, Vale, glad you could be here for the first part of the podcast. Vale showed up at the very last part of I Should Be Writing, and I felt bad. But this has been an especially exciting year being immunocompromised with lung clots. I'm, like, designed to die from COVID. <laughs> I'm sorry. That description is just so wonderful. It's, it's, it's no, it, no. The baby steps out. Yeah, you take as many baby steps as you can. That's awful. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for dropping by, Sario. Good to see you. Um, so, anyway, yeah, I've, I've had the same problem of it took me a long time to get writing again, and it, uh, it took a little bit of a shock come to Jesus moment around December, January for me, but I have been pretty productive. Uh, can we, I know the answer, but can we talk about what's made you more productive lately? Because I've been trying to tell people about various options. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think it was, uh, you know, one of, one of our colleagues was like, Hey, I have a really crazy schedule and I, it's been really difficult for me to find time to write, but um, I would like to give you like a time the day before on our Slack channel when I'm going to open up a Zoom meeting or a Google Meet, and I'm just going to basically we'll just type at each other for an hour, and we'll just do that, you know, we'll and we'll know ahead of time, and if we make it, great, if can't, whatever. And I thought, well, you know, that sounds a lot like, hey, let's go to a cafe and write, and just exactly. sit in your sit in your there. Yeah, and the other person's writing, and you're writing. Every time you look, well, they're writing, so I should write. It's that that mm-hmm. social that. And that that uh, animal brain social thing, um, and so yeah, so you know she tried it out, and a, a couple of us showed up, and I was like, wow, I just wrote a thousand words in that hour. <laughs> yeah. uh, when I hadn't been writing, I mean, I've been picking it up, putting it down, picking it up, putting it down, but that was like the most solid focused writing, um, like a complete scene that I had done in a long time. Um, that wasn't like a Patreon story. And so we just started doing more of it. And yeah, I, I found I was I was easily doing 800 to uh, 1,300 words in a session, right? In an hour. Uh-huh. And I would do that two times a week. And suddenly I had almost 25,000 words of a book. And I'm like, whoa, how did that happen after 14 months of starting yeah. and stopping growing out? I probably threw out 50,000 words. Oh, my God. Uh, and, oh, easily, easily with different settings, different characters, and different, you know, setups. But um and finally, I feel like, yeah, I have something like it's there's a flow, there's scenes, the characters have tension and interaction, they're moving somewhere, they're, they have positive forward momentum. I know what the endings are, I know the ABC plots. It's, you know, every, every time I do it, it's just, it's, it's starting to come together. Um, and I, I did. So I found that that was super helpful for me in a way that, again, everything else, all my other coping mechanisms, um, I mean, I've tried, I was a binge writer for a very long time where, mm-hmm. again, I, out i would go out to panera or to a coffee shop and i would be there literally for six or eight hours and i would just burn through and write you know five eight thousand words that day it's my forearms hurt to think about it it, it hurts i know and I, it, it, it's not good I feelings i wrote like the second half of empire ascendant which is one of my epic fantasy novels i wrote the second half four weeks because I just did weekends and I did these long weekend writing sessions where I was getting 15,000, 20,000 words. How are your nerves not shredded? Oh, they were shredded. This was back in, yeah, this was back in 2014 or whatever. I mean, I burned out like three times since then, (laughs) but that, that too. Yeah. One of my burnouts, which again is Ah. why I look, how do we, how do we find a sustainable writing pace? Um, especially as we get older and we have to deal with uh, these accumulated bullshit things. Cause again, every time we go through some kind of traumatic bullshit, we carry it with us. Yeah. Right. So you become 
accumulation of traumatic bullshit. So, and you have to change, right? You're a different, I'm a different person at 40 than I was at 20, right? Uh, I, I'm coming at it from a different place. I have different reserves. I have different uh, view of the world. To For my craft and stuff, that's great. But it also means my writing habits, my work habits need to change. Um, and so, yeah, so that that has really, really worked for me. And sometimes like, oh, uh, again, uh, again, it's like working out with a partner. Same thing. Oh, I really don't want to do it. Oh, but ew, I will let so-and-so down if they're just sitting there typing alone. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I took a I took a class earlier uh, this this year and I decided to start doing like a um, well, the class was like a planning and and goal setting class, and so we had lots of different people from different creative backgrounds, but we started making co-working spaces and we called it cafe frog because that was the the frog you have to eat at the beginning of the days and nothing will ever be that bad so you get the worst thing done and so uh we started doing that and it was pretty much three or four of us regularly and then they started to drop off and i'm still trying to show up even though i'm the only one in the cafe and then right around the time others started to drop out we started doing the one hour every day together with with our group and that's it's been like saving me because i'm really trying to keep the other thing alive until people know it's like i'm there if you want to drop in we're eastern standard we're eastern daylight time i know if you're on the west coast it's gonna be harder but this is me and when i'm available and so it's 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 hard but it's i'm start like first i want to tell people you know get a Get an accountability group, and now I'm like, get two, <laughs> because one of them might fall to the side. So you need a backup accountability group. No, and honestly, I was thinking the same thing, Mer, because I'm like, you know, some of us are going to finish projects, we're going to go another thing, life things go on, and I was actually thinking, man, I should bring in this, I should start this same uh, process with another group that I'm in, just to have that backup. Like, so there's always some, a writing group that I can go to because that becomes the issue as well. Just like with any writing group, right? Eventually yeah. something burns out, flames out and, uh, and then you don't see each other again. Um, so yeah, it's always, it's always good to have a backup. Yes. Uh, want to say, uh, thank you for following D Straith. Uh, welcome. And, um, so the next thing we were going to talk about was, uh, the, I, I always talk about you need to find the hill you're going to die on when an editor sends you comments there. Um, at least my editors always say like, these are just suggestions, but you can tell they feel pretty strongly about some of them. And I know somebody who turned down a very large deal because they refused to change the race of a character. And, uh, you can probably guess if not where they were changing it from, you can pretty much guess what they were asked to change it to. But, um, like that was the hill they were willing to die on. And I've had editors ask me to remove entire characters, um, fix a C, like a C plot, completely rewrite a C plot, um, the fact that the entire thing doesn't work, this is a smaller project, but the entire thing doesn't work, throw it out, start over. They didn't say that, but their comments were at the level of, I didn't know how to deal with their comments until I threw it all out and started over. So sometimes I think it's like, what hill am I willing to die on? And uh, I don't think anyone's asked anything of me yet, but I wanted to talk about that with you because I know you've had a more tumultuous career than I have. 
see our see our earlier see our earlier features of Cameron on the uh, Ditch Diggers podcast for more. Yeah, yeah, good times. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, Cameron. Have a drink. Yeah, I know that's true. Thank you. Every time we talk about my career, I'll take a drink. Um, <laughs> no, I, uh, I I have to really agree either i have to agree with the comment or i have to not care at the time and then i'll be like well whatever if it makes you happy um i think there's there's one thing that i wish about um light brigade that um, my editor was like uh oh his his last name was reese after reese in terminator and he's like this is just too much this is too much about this character this, this character is is Reese from terminator and i'm like whatever so i changed it to this day i wish now i would not have changed it because it was to me like just this in reference that was so blatant and so it just gave me a warmth in my soul yeah. and now i'm like Man, when he asked i was like oh i don't care and then i realized later i cared mm-hmm. um but to me if i would have told him no, yeah, fuck you. I'm gonna keep it. He would. He wouldn't have been like, I'm canceling your book. Yeah, it wouldn't, right? And I was just. It was path of least resistance. I don't care. I need to move on to the next comment. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, for pretty much all of my stuff, whenever people come to me about edits, I'm just like, I don't understand because I'm. I never get edits where if you don't make this edit, I'm not gonna print the book. Yeah, I've never had that happen to me ever. Right. Um, I have heard of a writer who said, you know, before they signed a contract, uh, the editor said, Hey, I want you to take out this scene. Um, and she was like, no, this, this is my hill. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to die on this hill. And, and he said, well, then I can't make an offer. I have heard that, oh, wow. but I've never, I've never, uh, you know, had an issue with hey, someone sends me a, a <laughs> sends me a comment. I do view it as a suggestion. I know there was one editor I worked with uh, quite a bit, and uh, I would just be like, stet, stet, which means keep it as it is. <laughs> yes. I, and I just ignored it because I didn't, you know, and, and it's not like they were going to not publish the book. We had very, and that to me was just an issue of we had very different ideas of what the book was about and mm-hmm. what our parts of the book were uh, and I think that was just a matter of this editor and I particularly just didn't we're not on the same page with things and that was fine um because they weren't the acquiring editor they were the developmental editor so that's different right. uh, yeah I've never really had an instance I don't think where I've studied something I've said nope I'm gonna keep it as it is and anyone ever came back to me because frankly editors are super busy too very few of them go through something and say you know, oh, you didn't change so-and-so's name or you didn't, you know, move this section or you didn't delete this section and move to this other section. Um, very rarely has anyone ever come back to me and said, no, nah, I just think that's, um, you know, let's not do that. And usually if, if, and if, I, if I keep it, it's because they've made a very compelling case. My agent is pretty good at making a compelling case about, hey, you know, and she still she I remember her saying, to me about stars of legion oh i want more politics in here and more stuff before they go to the bottom of the world i said well that's great but you're not writing the book <laughs> i'm writing the book and i don't give a shit about the politics i want to go to the weird in the middle of the world uh and i remember later after it was published she was rereading it at a con somewhere and just glancing through it because she'd gotten her copy and she said you know you were right we didn't need that politics i was like god damn right so to me it's 
I think that, that comes from some confidence in your story. Um, and if you're not confident in the story, then when someone comes back to you and says, well, we could fix this or this or this, sometimes um, they're right. And so I, I try to fix it so that it aligns with how I want the story to be. But sometimes they come back and they're reading a different book than I meant for them to write or them, that I meant. Um, and they're trying to move it in a direction that I'm not interested in. Um, right. I don't think that happens a lot to me, um, but I, again, I, I take I do take them all suggestions. I take it with a grain of salt. I've like I said, I've never encountered myself. If you don't make this change, I'm going to cancel your contract. Um, that's so it's super rare. Uh, like I said, it usually happens at the acquisition stage. So, okay. Um, well, I fuck them all. <laughs> Yeah, fuck them all. Yeah, fuck them all. That's, that's... At the end of the day, your name is on the book. Oh, yeah. Your name is on the book, right? So, their name... I have worked yeah. with an editor who should have won the Hugo a long time ago. I I believe that it's like she hasn't won the Hugo because she works so hard that she doesn't... It's like her head's down so much that she doesn't get attention. And... It's like one point she, she was the kind of person who could look at my manuscript and say, do you know you're doing this one thing over and over and over again? And I'm like, I did not know that. <laughs> I didn't see it. She saw things wow. that I never saw. She had like this this 10,000 view 10,000 foot view of the story and saw how it all worked together and then had ideas about what needed to be fixed and um, so basically I took almost everything she said. There was she one was good time, editor. Yeah, she was a great I, editor. It's like I, I uh, six weeks got nominated for all the awards. It got a lot of editorial feedback. It would not have <laughs> been so well received without her. That is a definite. But um there was I, I was working with one editor one time who th- this has happened to me more than once because it happened just recently and I'm thinking yeah. where if you do something and then you black out or you black out and something happens and you wake up I had my people looking at the things around them and looking at the things within themselves and thinking I must have been involved in this. For example, you drink a lot, you black out, you wake up, you got burns on your hand, and the house down the street's on fire. Are you going to think you don't know what happened? I mean, you can kind of put it together. But more than once, I've gotten the, well, they were blacked out. How did they know? Like, you can figure, just, yeah, so I I actually used that drunk person setting stuff on fire. I didn't know what street. I, like, pictured the street in Chapel Hill about the poor house that's on fire because I apparently got drunk on that street and set it on fire, and I'm just like, here's how you put that kind of thing together, and I refuse to fix that scene because of it. I also had, I read a book that was uh, edited by what I thought was a pretty feminist editor, and the book was a fantasy book that looked like it had looked up, the author had looked up things to make feminists cringe and took the bullet list and just checked them all off. It's like, you know, can, can he do the the assault? Can he do the brutality? Can he do the 
wide-eyed childlike love after all of this trauma uh it just it's like he checked it all off and i frankly i went to the editor and i'm like how did you publish this and she said i asked for edits and he took what he wanted and left the rest and that made an impact on me because i mean if they which kind of is interesting point of once they sign that contract they're really dedicated to publishing you whether you give them something they're really happy about or not it's like unless you're Mino, milo what's his face it has or, to be uh, really bad yeah you said it about my wasn't really publishable um and i think yeah you have to turn in something that is just not publishable uh which has happened like i have heard that of yeah people turning in stuff and they're just like i'm sorry this this is yeah it has to be pretty bad yeah but they will <laughs> ask i mean my yeah, not to say anything horrible about someone who has had that happen to them, but in my experience, it does have to be pretty bad. Yeah. The, they, edit, um, they just get the content out. I mean, it's a business, so. Yeah. But my editor did take the, when I got a little late, okay, I got a little, it was, it was 2020, come on. I got late, and they took it off the schedule and just said, let's work on the edits and make it happen. It's still not on the schedule. My poor dad, oh, dad, doesn't know how publishing works. And he's like, so your new book, is it coming out this fall? I'm like, no, <laughs> no, it's not coming out this fall. Of course, why is it coming out this fall? You realize no, fall is tomorrow in publishing work. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm like, maybe spring, I hope, maybe, probably summer. It's publishing just, yeah, I'm not even on the schedule now. I don't even have a title. Mm -hmm. But it's almost done, I think. Hey, I don't look know. At that. Let's. It see. had a meme. Yeah. That's <laughs> okay. So uh, let's see. Going back to chat. Oh, Tree Lobster says I think my first foray into a crowd environment will be GalaxyCon in Raleigh. Hoping I don't Ooh. forget. I don't even know what GalaxyCon is. Please tell me what that is, Tree Lobsters, because that's close to me. Will has a question. Will has a question about when your editor who acquired the book leaves mid or end of project. Do you feel the new editor or the publisher pushes your books as much as the former editor who acquired the book? I'm going to have oh. some of my drink and let Cameron talk. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's an easy answer. Oh, they inherit it. They inherit it, and, and it sucks for everybody, and everybody profusely denies that they are not going to not put a lot of stuff behind it but inevitably it will just fall through the cracks and you have to just let it go and write something else it's it's happened to me twice I, I, i'm not unless you're nora roberts or something i mean that's pretty definitive so yeah it's happened to me twice um the first one happened after the book was done like the the it was turned in um, I don't feel like the marketing was what it would have been had my editor been around to make it to, to push for better marketing. And the editor I got handed to and I did not really get along creatively. Um, the second time it happened, I hadn't even turned in the, the draft yet. And that was, well, that, that's still happening. That's still going on. So uh, I like my new editor. It's, 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 she seems dedicated to the book. I don't feel like, I don't feel like the things she's asking for are outrageous, but there is that slight awkwardness of you didn't choose my book and I didn't choose you as the editor. So we, but we still got to work together. 
Um, we'll see how it goes from here forward. I, it, it, they all say they don't orphan books, but really editors want their babies to get the attention. And when you're a baby that was handed to them, they're not, you know, you're the redheaded stepchild. You should be over there in your crib. And if you cry, well, you know, you'll get a bottle eventually, but come on. Someone uh, else has heard your talent and found the jewel within Rose and done the deal and all of that. And, you know, I think a lot of editors take a lot of pride uh, in, again, discovering writers, yeah. nurturing writers, nurturing books, nurturing careers. Uh, and so, yeah, when they get handed someone that, uh, again, and they may enjoy the book, uh, and, and they, may, they may really not like the book at all, mm. uh, but either way, they just don't have that personal relationship with it in a way that the acquiring editor uh, would have. So Right. That's the, uh, yeah. That's the short, uh, that's just is what it is. I'm not yeah. going to give me some you know, it's, it's how It's how publishing works. I try to be, you know, understanding because... If you think about it from an editor's point of view, if they ever want to leave their job, there is no start and end of an editorial job. It's like they have things overlapping all the time. And so if they're going to leave their job, somebody's going to get left behind. Yeah. And that's just the way it goes. So I try to think about that and be kind, but it sucks when you're one of the ones left behind. But it's, also, it's the way it goes. That yeah, it's great actually when they leave for better positions. What sucks is when they're fired, when they're yeah. laid off, like constantly in publishing because it's a corporate mega business mess. Um, and that to me is is you know really sucks is that there's that churn because they're constantly moving people around. Um, so yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so we answered Will's question. Uh, librarian asked, it's called a logical deduction, dude. Yes. Tree Lobster says, I have a habit of repeating phrases, and I completely miss them on read-throughs. One beta reader caught all of them. I have that problem, too. Repeat phrases, repeat words in the same goddamn paragraph. It's like, did I write half of this paragraph and then take a month off and then write the next half? Because there's a lot of repetition here. That repetition is a major problem of mine. I fully, yeah not good so uh yeah it it, it happens but editable uh, you know yes, it, it is things that happens i remember i got back the first or the first pass a copy editor did with my first novel god's war and he said cameron this book is 280 pages long i think laid out you use the word big 181 times <laughs> that's almost and I a full page and I will go through it, right? And I'm like, holy crap. Yeah, yeah. that's your arm right now, every page. So, um, so when I went through and, and changed it and it was, it was not a big deal. I think, I think we get, I think especially newer writers, I mean, it's something I constantly do and it is a thing I edit out, but I don't get too hung up on it just because I know that in a first draft, I'm going to repeat the word big 181 times and then I'm just going to go through and I'm going to edit it in proofs. You know what's funny is that you say that because I realize that I never say big, but I say large a lot. Oh, and I dude. went through and I'm like, I think I need to change some of these to big. <laughs> it's it's a weird, weird thing. Uh, there's and drinking tea. Yeah, there's there's lots of 
competitive gestures and stuff too. But again, to me, as long as you have a really good copy editor um, that just, you know, is catching it. And again, you're going to be going through these a few times yourself, you know, that you're also catching those. Um, and again, knowing, knowing which words it is, right, That that's great too, Mer. Again, knowing that I write the word large. Yeah. <laughs> because that way you have like a list of hey you know i really lean on this word uh quite a bit i do i do i have a a few common phrases um especially in this this current book everything's very gooey so very gooey. <laughs> i can't wait uh, we got librarian writer geek says mer's inner monologue is dang it cameron i need you to vamp for a bit that that's yeah that's my standard with i have any anybody on matt cameron yeah um, yes, galaxycon.com slash pages slash Raleigh. Thank you, Tree Lobsters. Uh, yeah, I've got a bot that stops URLs because apparently most of the time on Twitch, people do bad URLs, so it's hard to let the good ones in. Um, is there any way to advocate for yourself if you get orphaned by your editor? Is there stuff your agent should be doing? That is your agent's job to make sure you don't get left behind. And... That's, yeah, if you hope your agent does do that. And I know somebody who's had to lean on their agent to say, look, I need some help here. You're going to have to make sure that the new people do right by my book, which shouldn't have been their job, but they felt they needed to say that. And, you know, at some squeaky point wheel. you realize, sorry? The squeaky wheel. Yeah, you the squeaky wheel. Yeah, it sucks. I mean, getting orphaned sucks. But because yeah. uh, you, you still believe in your book and assuming the publisher probably still believes in your book. But I mean, does any specific person in the publisher? I, I was told after six weeks got orphaned, I, I was told it's like everybody there is really excited. I'm like, really? Because I hadn't heard a goddamn thing about anybody being excited about anything about my book. I'm glad you're excited. What are you doing about it? It was very <laughs> awkward. I would like that on a t-shirt when I walk into a publisher. Oh, everyone's excited. So what are you doing about it? Yeah. Oh my God, Burr. Yes. Yeah, I remember being oh, told that. I was I was drunk oh, no. at Kansas City World Con. And he's like, oh yeah, I saw somebody from Orbit. And he's like, yeah, people are really excited about Six Weeks. I'm like, how? <laughs> Who? Really? Yeah, that was fun. Because that, yeah. Um, yeah, I Ideally, yes. You're if you have a good agent, and sometimes your agent will suck, but they're going to try and do their darnest. And sometimes, you know, your new editor or current editor is just kind of sucks and isn't going to talk to you for three months, no matter how many times they call or email or drive down there and and knock on their door. Um, <laughs> but do not advocate stalking your editor. I just want to say that. Yeah. No, oh, your agent is doing that. No, not oh, not you. Oh, your, your agents. Ag yes, your agent yeah, is oh, allowed to stalk. Stop away. That's your agent's job. Yeah. No, you leave them. Off. Um, but yeah, sometimes it just, uh, it just is what it is. I, you know, and I, I do see a lot of writers, um, and this is why I was like, well, no, you're not going to get, you're not going to get great stuff. It sucks. It's a horrible situation. Sorry if you're stuck in it. Welcome to publishing. Move on, write another book. Uh, honestly, I mean, you can do whatever. I mean, do as much as you can. You, you might win a Hugo for the book, or nominate for Hugo, or sell, earn out. As we know, Mer, you know, earn out. You're you're advanced and make plenty of money on it. Um, that, but you should just 
move on, right? I mean, otherwise it's just eat your soul. I mean, this happened with my first three books. It ate my life for a long time, how horribly that entire situation went. Um, but you know what? It's been 10 years. They're still in print. People love them. I write two stories about them on Patreon and, and people think it's great. Um, take the, the gift you're given and let it go uh, and write another book. Because yeah. um, if you're angry forever and if you stay, um, you know, uh, you're just going to, it's because it'll happen again. I mean, the, your career is long enough. These things are just going to happen. Yeah. Uh, and I've had happened several times i've had the publisher the entire publisher sold out from underneath me several times i've had books you know can't, can't, uh, contracts canceled and things reassigned and um in fact we're always looking at simon and schuster trying to be like okay what are they doing now <laughs> what chairs are moving which way uh because you never know and things could just get canceled it's, it's a corporate you know environment and i think um we like to we want to pretend it's like this this creative um like academic institution and it's not these are all owned by corporations cbs owns um simon and schuster so just keep that in mind capitalism yeah yeah this, this is the downside problem. of selling your art it's like when you start selling your art, it's a business and then you have to think about it in a business way and that's what this podcast is about Yay. I have heard from Matt. He is alive. He says, I'm pleased to report I finally found myself, but the bastard dodged the knife I threw and escaped, so it is back to the hunt for me. So, Matt is alive, but he may soon kill himself, which will be an existential problem. I will be very interested to delve into, especially because I know his wife would kick his ass if he threw a knife at himself. She would just be all over that. She would not have any patience for that. So you better not kill yourself, Matt, because Nikki will be after you in the afterlife. Afterlife, uh, that's true. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Zach says, go down to Simon's Penguin Random House HQ with a Vuvuzela and a cowbell. I like that. At least you'll be, this is the crazy author who went down with a Vuvuzela and a cowbell and got a lot of attention and all the people are covering her because she's very strange and then that'll sell your books yeah there you go i mean would would chuck tingle have sold so well if they hadn't been uh covered by the sad puppies it's have you read a chuck tingle book i haven't they have good no good covers and i'll probably try to trap you to find out if you really are chuck tingle i don't know who chuck tingle is I was just going to say, Mara, I could be Chuck Tingle. Um, oh, yeah, what you saying? I tried to track Tingle. Did it work? Mind, because, again, it's like 14 pages or something, and it's like four ninety nine. I mean, I need to sell 14 pages for four ninety nine. That'd be great. Yeah. I think we need to get together and, and write something for 14 pages. and Yeah, and we'll call ourselves Tuckle Chingler. <laughs> Ursula and I were in, um, we used to, back in the before times, we used to go to lunch and then go to Barnes and Noble to look at all the books and then sit down and write together. I miss the before days. Anyway, um, we had a game called Look for Cloak Guy because there was a real, real big thing on uh, putting a guy with a cloak on the cover of an SF book or fa usually fantasy. 
and we would just walk through the the science fiction and fantasy and YA sections and look for Cloak Guy because he was almost always there. We almost always found a new one. Now it's woman in a coat shot from the back. That is a big thing, but it's not science fiction. It's like in the literature category, you got to like a woman from the back sitting in front of her and she's got a coat. It's not a cape, it's a coat, but... My point is that uh, we were looking at a Harry Turtledove book, and for some reason, the way it was laid out, made it was like something in a supervolcano. But Harry Turtledove's name was small, and supervolcano was large, and it was at the bottom, and I'm like, is that somebody whose last name is supervolcano? And so we decided if we ever got together to do the work, the, the book that we've talked about, co-writing... Our, it's going to be the Super Volcano Twins. That's, that's our last name, Super Volcano. That's that's good. No, I think that's great. It, it's eye catching. It's, it's eye catching. Um, it makes a good hashtag. Yeah, yeah. it does. I work in marketing. I think it's brilliant. So there you oh, go. Good. good. Like a said that it's brilliant. Put that in your cover letter. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> um. Oh, hey, Beth. Good to see you. As someone who works in publishing, it is a soulless capitalist industry. Yes, indeed. Okay, kids are asleep. You said that sounds like an evil more advice point. Which one were you referring to? Are there publishing houses that both of you really want to work but hasn't happened yet? One that pays me a million dollars. What's your answer, Mer? I don't have a name. Um, I don't know. I've heard good, good and bad things about almost all of them. Yeah, uh, every single one. It's hard to say. I remember I, I well, I can't go into details because that's not professional, but I remember telling Cameron something I'd heard and Cameron got mad because she thought that was one of the good ones and she was hoping to publish there. And now... There are no good ones. No, I There's don't know. It's... Of what bullshit can you put up with? You yeah, know? I mean, I, again, I'm not going to, I like the woman I'm working with now, but I chose Ace in part because of the acquiring editor, and then I lost her. So I'm still glad to be with Ace. They're treating me kind. I, I like the new editor, but I will say it, it is, you know, a little sad that I did, I, the editor was part of the reason I chose that publishing company. So, um, ah, yes, the Vuvuzela cowbell idea was an evil mer advice point. That's a good one. I'll write that one down. Yeah. yeah. There are no rules no, in capitalism. There are, yeah, for, for sure. Because, you know, there, I remember there was a uh, an editor I really wanted to work with. And, in fact, we got to, uh, you know, they made an offer and everything, and we just got some contracts and, I hated the contracts and, and they could not be cheap. Um, and, uh, you know, and because it wasn't for a ton of money, I could walk away from it, but I did really love the editor and really wanted to work with them. And, uh, I just, I couldn't stomach another horrible contract in my life. <laughs> I just couldn't do it. Um, so yeah, so we went ahead and we, and we passed on that. Cause that's the thing too, is, you know, sometimes you like to, to your point where you might sign with a great editor, everything's wonderful. You might even get through a whole book together. Or you might get through a book together and then they leave or they're fired. Um, and 
so and then again then or, or you might, might love a publisher and love your editor and then they get acquired by some bigger conglomerate and a bunch of people get fired <laughs> or the, the whole company changes and and they you know throw it out they do something crazy with your book and they put slap some cover on it and it's just you know again a piece of product and they go in a whole new direction uh so there's that too so as much as it's like you know yeah it would be great to work with all sorts of wonderful people but what if i'm given a contract right this mm -hmm. is dish diggers and then get a contract that you know eats my soul uh i, I would still love to work with that person but i just can't i just can't you know sign the contract so you got to keep that in mind too there's lots of you know lots of dreamy stuff and i remember i know a guy who uh has gotten so many Try, they've tried to do so many uh, movie deals and they get to those contracts and, and he just cannot sell his soul. And I'm like, for enough money, I'll sell my soul to Hollywood, but it's got to be a lot of money, guys. Yeah. It's got to be a lot of money to sell my soul. And that's the thing. It's like you're balancing, you're constantly, it's that capitalist balance. You're constantly balancing your creative creativity and your soul, right, with, you know, well, is it worth the, the money for me to give up, you know, this, this career yeah. control or you know, this, uh, this thing. Um, and that's a really hard thing to do. And I, and I think, I think we, um, jokingly talk about that a, a little bit in publishing, but not seriously talk about it. And it's something, in fact, we deal with constantly. I remember, um, my agent sent me something recently, Hey, this big corporation wants to do this tie-in story with this thing and they need this and this and this in two weeks and, da -da -da -da, and they'll pay this and this. And I said, that sounds too much like corporate work. No, I do yeah. corporate work for a living. Uh, for my writing, I, I need to have some kind of creative control over it. And that sounds like, yeah, submit an RFP. Oh, go fuck yourself. Sorry. No. <laughs> Uh, pay me $2,500 for a 2,500-word story that I can write anything that is about AI. Sure. Yeah. Then, yes. No, not not these really tightly controlled things. Um, I can do that for more money elsewhere. So. Yeah. I, I Again, I'm not going to say any details, but I... I once I had a contract that the only thing that would bend was the money they gave me. And so my agent got as much money out of them as she could to where I'm just like, I don't like the contract exactly, but damn. And I yeah. took it and I know it's like, I, I, I'm fully, I'm going in fully with my eyes open that, it's kind of weird that they would negotiate on nothing except for the money, but it's going to be a lucrative deal. But, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's tough to have to choose that, that thing. Um, we've got another question. I'm hearing authors saying now that they'll never negotiate another multi-book contract, single books only. What are pros and cons to single versus multi-book deals? Uh, Val, can you tell us a little bit more about what you've heard? Cause I have not heard this. Have you heard this, Cameron? It, I, I would say it depends on the publisher. Uh, I know that there are some publishers who do stuff like basket accounting that I would be really leery of doing anything with them unless it was a really high, high number deal. We should for say that what reason. basket accounting is. It is yeah, terrible, but. Nobody wants it. So let's say they pay you $20,000 per book. Um, and so. Uh, you earn, let's say your first book earns out, um, uh, earns $40,000. Well, you're not going to get that extra $20,000 because that's that extra $20,000 is being applied to your second book in the deal. So your next book 
has to earn out, you know, this plus. And you don't get paid until you make at least $60,000 in aggregate all across three. Those, all three books. Then once you hit that, then you're actually going to get paid. I am um, in a pretty good point where I have most of my books have earned out at this point. Um, so I make, you know, thousands of dollars a year in royalties. Um, but what happens is what it that does is it kind of backlogs all of your money and it just kind of sits out there for five to 15 years um, instead of earning, earning you out um, much more quickly. So I hate it. Everyone hates it. If you're really high powered, you now, but there are a couple publishers who that's their standard boilerplate deal, and it's that their way or the highway. So a lot. So the way to get around, yeah. So the way to get around it with them is do one book. So yeah, which I've done. That's a good point. <laughs> uh, yes, basket yeah. accounting is entirely evil. Uh, Val says part of that is because of changes to ad how advances are paid. Part of it is getting locked into a series that doesn't sell well for whatever reason. And sometimes the other books are sold on spec. And then what happens if the editor doesn't like what they get? Well, I can identify with a lot of that. And now I'm scared. Thanks, Val. Come on. Um, yeah, it's, it's all, it's all scary. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's okay. It's okay, Val. Um, yeah, it, what's funny is locked into a series that doesn't sell. I have not had that problem. I've had the, I would like to write a series, but they don't want me to. So uh, there's that. It's, uh, I haven't had enough to start talking about the people who want a six weeks too. So you talk, Cameron. Yeah, um, here's the thing. I think, I think, quote unquote, locking yourself in, most publishers aren't going to offer you unless it's a really high concept YA and even YA is getting quite oversold right now, mm -hmm. um, aren't even going to offer you more than two or three books a go. They're not going to offer you a six book contract unless you're, you know, Victoria Schwab and you've already sold a million books yeah. or whatever, or salty. Uh, no one's going to say, yeah, let's sign up for 16 books. And I think Martha Wells, you know, ended up selling, you know, writing, she's been writing since what the night that late eighties and nineties, I finally got her first was in a six book deal for a reasonable amount of money finally yeah. because her books sold so well um thank god for martha i wish her all the best and i yes all her success um but the reason she got that is because she showed you know a ton of promise with this other stuff it's very rare now you see especially for first writers to get to in more than two or three book deals they have to like go to ah oh, it has to be some kind of wild auction scenario which again if the money is good they pay you a million dollars for six books sure who cares <laughs> whatever and then well, so what you have a million dollars um but that's where you got to weigh the again pros and cons I, I you know i know someone who did like a three book deal for like 300 grand great sounds great i would love to get locked into a three book deal for 300 grand whether it sells or not um but i, I have not been in the place where in, in fact, in my entire career for those, these last 20 years, I, I have not been in a place where I've actually really seen a lot of more than two or three book deals. Yeah. So. I, I, I have only seen, I think, Scalzi's and Schwab's and Wells. And granted, I don't watch the the deal closely, yeah. but those are the ones that I've heard about. And they're all tour. They're, they're all tour, and they're all people who've already really well. I mean, they're, they already are getting on a horse that has already won a lot of races. Yeah, um, they're not that midlist horse <laughs> Who, whose book sold, you know, thirty thousand copies. So um, I would like them to, 
but that's yeah. not how it is. Yeah. You have to hit it. You have to get a, you know, hit list in some other way or have, or some have a really high concept, um, uh, project that you're pitching that they believe will be a breakout. Like that to me is where a lot of us in the mid list are at now is you want to pitch a project that could possibly break out to a wider audience. And if yeah. you can do that and you get people interested and there's a lot of buzz about it, then you'll make some money. But even so they're not going to sign you for 10 bucks for that. They will yeah. sign you one or two books and you'll make some money from it. And that'll be great. So yeah. On, on, on the side of lower advances, um, mm-hmm. granted, if you ever get an advance that's super high, you know, you, you have that money in the bank and that's nice, but I did discover, I mean, it sucked at the time and I almost didn't take it, but the, because my first two books didn't do that well for orbit, my third, my next contract was 33% less than what they offered per book on the first two. And so it was a, it was a one con one book contract. It was a, it was 33% less than what I earned on the shambling guides. And it's like I, I pitched them a bunch of ideas and they took the one I liked the least. So it was a real weird situation. And it was a definite good decision I made to take it because the book did really well. I earned out in four months and it, it, it got a lot of award attention. But uh, the fact that I've been making royalties on that book since, well, six months after it was published, it was, well, yeah, sorry, the way royalties are done is a little bit later than that, but still. Um, it, that's that's what you argue for with the lower advances, because while it's great to have money in your pocket, and if you need it, it's very great, but if you actually want to live on royalties, the lower advance might be good if you want, like, the long tail money. Mm-hmm. My uh, thing is, is you should try and get the most amount possible for every yeah. single book. And it's great to your point where um, it, it is it is absolutely great um, to uh, have the, that regular income. I love getting my checks, you know, twice a year, and when we can do some yard work, and I can get a writing shit or whatever. It's wonderful paychecks. Honestly, is really <laughs> what we do. Let's be real here. It's six figures. Um, but also, I think that, um, you know, if you're earning out a book the first month or six months, then you're under advanced. And also, they're, the less money they pay for a book, the less they're going to invest in a book. And that's not to say, I mean, if I, I mean I've done projects with smaller publishers that just are a much better fit for them. Uh, short story collections are always good for the smaller publishers. Big publishers, they just don't want them. Um, it's very difficult to, to get them uh, done, and, and they're a nice little source of, you know, additional revenue. You're, you're never going to make a ton of money, um, but they're good for that. But when you get, like, the bigger releases um, and things like that, uh, I would try and get as much money as possible because the more money that they give you, the more likely it is that they're going to actually put some money into it. Uh, and that gives you a greater chance of more success with it. Yeah. Um, that's and I do know authors who are just like, who don't even negotiate their contracts. Oh my God, they're not watching this show. Um, no, they're not. But wow. They're not. Uh, yeah, there's, oh, it was just tonight because it's pocket money for them, or it's just a fun little thing for them. It's a side project, and they're like, great, $5,000, and that's fine. Um, but, uh, you know, if you want to make your career out of it, uh, to me, you know, you need to understand that somebody thinks your idea is worth money, and that your work is going to make them money. 
and so I would uh, make sure to leverage, um, you know, the the idea that you have. It's intellectual property, and you own it forever. So yes. That's true. So Tree Lobsters is has just gotten their first deal from an uh, first offer from an agent. They're probably going to sign tomorrow. Congratulations, Tree Lobsters! I have not hooked the yay button up to this overlay, so I can't hit the yay button for you. But you know, I'm hitting it in my heart. But um, the question is, I've got a lot of novel ideas and limited time to write them. Should I work with my agent to get free feedback on what would sell or just pick my favorites and hope they do well? Work with your agent. That's what they're there for. They will know what editors are looking for. And they're going to tell you to take the most lucrative idea you have and work on that. I mean, that's one of the reasons you're signing with a person with an agent because they will tell you better what editors are looking for. They got the inside scoop. And I'll also say, uh, that's not to say you're never going to write the other ideas. It's just that they will be able to look at what you've got and say, I think in the marketplace right now, this is going to have a better chance than this. Um, my agent, that was actually how we first got together. I had two proposals. One was for what would become the mirror empire. One was for what would become stars or legion. And she said, you know, at this point in, I think it was 2012, this was before Ancillary Justice, like, yeah. I don't know, I can sell a book with no men in it, <laughs> which was Stars or I was so frustrating to hear. And looking back, I'm like, I don't, I still don't think that she was right, uh, but it, this was pre-Ancillary Justice. So we went and sold the safer one, which was um, the epic fantasy, which still we sold by the skin of our teeth. But that, well, that being said, uh, then Ancillary Justice happened. And then I had an editor actually come to me and say, didn't you have a space opera? What you were talking about? <laughs> I do, sir. Uh, and, and we sold a book with no men in it. Um, so, so the market changes. But it's really good to have someone who has a much broader sense of the market uh, than I think than you do. I mean, I make sure you love all the ideas, right? That you pitch them. And you really want to write them. Oh, yeah. But to decide what to write first i would definitely i definitely discuss it with them that's what they're there for a really good agent um to, for me is is also a business advisor um now you can completely disagree with them and go write what you want but it's good to have someone to discuss that with just like you would an accountant with your finances um or a roofer with your roof right um so yeah i, I if you have that resource take advantage of it wow cameron i'm sorry the what? roofer the roofer concept is like perfect because I still struggle with the idea that you you hire agents, you are their boss, but they're they have the power and the understanding of the industry, which makes it feel like they have power over you. But the roofer thing makes perfect sense because if you hire someone to do your roof, you know you're the boss. And yeah. you're like and you know about the roof. Yeah, and you know they're the yeah, expert about the roof, exactly. But you are their boss, so think. Yes, yes. We're gonna we're gonna start a new podcast about dealing with agents, and we're we're gonna call it roofers. There we go. We got roofers. Roofers. We got it. We got it. Dish diggers after dark with Jen. This is what it's like, y'all. I'm sorry. Anyway, um, let's see. Congratulations, tree lobsters. Uh, if. Underpope says, if I ever get, manage to get published, I'm going to negotiate the hell out of that contract with help from my lawyer friends. Underpope, do you mean that mean, do you mean you're not going to be looking for an agent or what? 
Uh, kids are asleep. What do you do if your agent doesn't love any of your ideas? Come up with new ones. Personally, yes. That's it's if the agent doesn't think they can sell an idea, they're not. I mean, it, they're not going to work their hardest to do so because they don't know how. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I sold my first book because my agent didn't believe in it, but I talked about it at a con, and then I sent it in myself. And then the offer came and I handed it to my agent and said, hey, you want some free money? You lazy. She's not my agent anymore. I can say that. But anyway, uh, most cases, if you're asking your agent to sell stuff and they don't believe that they can, you got to come up with something new, which which happened to me. I, I My agent and I tried really hard to sell something a couple of years ago. We went back and forth on the edits like for six months, and then we found a proposal she was happy with, and then we sent it out, and it still didn't sell. And then we came up with an idea that eventually sold something, but yeah. Yeah. And she never said, Mer, screw you, I'm not even going to try and sell this. No, no, she did, but she worked with me. We didn't send anything out for a while because she wanted to work with me on making it something she could sell. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, it was... uh, I mean, she didn't just say, I hate all these ideas, try again. It was, let's work through this. And so it was a back and forth. Then again, that's one agent. I don't know how all agents work. So because because of, of my experience and because of conventions, I've met a lot of agents and they're all very different people. It's strange. Yeah. It's like they're individuals or something. And yeah, so... We're all- they're all individual, uh, again, they're all contractors. They're all freelancers, right? And they're all, they're all doing roofers. It. They're all roofers. They have a way of doing it, right? Yeah. So, uh, and yeah, and I, I would say, I, I would just say a real big flag is, you know, if you and an agent have been having a great rapport for a long time and, you know, they sold a, a couple series and all of a sudden you're finding that they don't like any ideas that you have, that that's going to be a big red flag. That either something your relationship has changed, that yeah. their tastes have changed, that you guys are maybe kind of going off in different directions. You should not take that as a personal, like, I am a horrible writer and nothing I do is great. Sometimes it's just your your tastes start to diverge and it's just time for you to find a new agent. Um, and uh, and I think we've talked about that in the show before, is that, that, yeah, like, you need to find somebody you're compatible with, and people change, relationships change. So just also be aware of that, of, of if you start pitching a lot of things and your agent is never excited, um, it may have more to do with your agent, or that you have changed as a writer, like, you're writing different things that just yeah. are not in their wheelhouse anymore. And I had a, a friend uh, note that, where they actually got another, a co-agent, because the agent that they really liked um, was just like, you know, this other kind of stuff that you do, I just am not really into it. And I'm sure it's really good and another agent could help you out with it, but I just, it's not the great genre genre for me. So they have one for one genre and another for another genre. Yeah. You know? Well, the thing is, um, I've been in that situation before and this is how you know whether you're in a bad relationship or not. What you need to do is say, all right, what I said, and it worked, was do you like anything I'm working on now? Do you like any of my ideas going forward? Are you just really excited about that thing I wrote 10 years ago? And she said, no. And I said, all right, I think it's time for me to move on. And she said, okay. The thing is, like, while this was tense, 
and had to do with, do you like my writing or not? I don't. It was still professional. Now, if you say to an agent, do you like my stuff or not? And they say, not really. You need to do X, Y, and Z. And you're thinking, no, I, I want to move forward with this work that I want to do. And they try to stop you. That right there is a red flag because that is like, that's starting to be a toxic relationship. You don't want to stay with anybody who's making you stay. So it's like, if, if you think this isn't going to work and they fight you on it, I don't know about anybody in the audience, but I have never, ever been able to convince someone to love me. It's not a convincing <laughs> thing. It's not a thing, yeah. And it's, so if it's, your agent is trying yeah. trying to neg you or convince you to love them because they can do so much for you, even though they haven't yet, that's when you say, it's time for us to part ways. It was lovely working with you. Here's your 30-day notice, which most people ask for. So remember that the freedom to leave in a professional way is also a good sign of a professional relationship with an agent, which you always want. Even if you can't work with the agent anymore, you still want to be able to say, this isn't working out. I'm moving on. And they're like, well, that's unfortunate. Okay. It's, it's I'd like a different accountant now. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. Not a big, I want a different roofer. Yeah, I want a new roofer. We've built many great roofs, but you know, for my summer house, I have a different vision and I really would like someone who shares that vision. Exactly. So. Uh, God, when it's a different roofer for every 60 houses you have but yeah. uh we got uh underpubs going out to pick up feral cats at the spay and neuter clinic wish me luck well good yeah. luck underpope i believe in the south here we say you're doing god's work uh rambo says agent relationships are sounding a lot like interpersonal relationships oh jason you don't even know it's it's like it's very much like a significant other type relationship because you are not allowed to look for another agent when you're still with your previous agent, which it's is like so the yeah. only business relationship I can think of that's like that. And if yeah. you try, the agent you're talking to will go like, have you separated with this person yet? And you say, no, you'll be like, uh-uh, no, you, you got a divorce and then we can talk. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, that is a big one. Um, again, Ditch Jigger's wisdom. That is a really, they will not. They don't want you to initiate a conversation or, con I mean, you can ask them, but as soon as you start going, so would you think about you? No, no, no. You better be unagented at that point when you bring up that conversation. Um, that is that is a big publicity faux pas, which every one of them uh, really, really adheres to. So Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, it, and it's weird because you think you want a life vest before you cut free of the boat, but nobody wants to give you one. Well, I always want it, certainly. Yeah, the yeah. writers, yeah, every writer I've talked to has been like, but I want to make sure someone will still love me yeah. if I leave. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's not, not how it is. No, unfortunately. And um, yeah, agent monogamy, you got to do it. It's it's like it's not like you can sneak around. It's like none of them will do it until you are free. And it's it is a scary thought. What if you can't get another agent? Exactly. It's a that's that's the downside. But the what you what you hope for is 
you got one, and you got one for a reason, and hopefully that reason was you look like a promising uh, prospect. Uh, I know that I, I was contacted by an, uh, a client of Jen's who was a new writer. And, like, I had, you know, I, I am developing a track record, so it wasn't that hard for me to find somebody new. But she hadn't sold anything, and she was terrified that she was leaving the agented world. And, you know, I didn't know. I, I tried to help as much as I could, but I understood she was absolutely terrified because she hadn't sold a book, she had an agent, and then she didn't have an agent anymore. So, yeah, that was fun. We got yeah. uh, Softheart says, Greenhorn writer here. When in the writing process should I go about getting an agent? Only when I have something 100% finished that I'm looking to sell, when I have a few finished things that can be shopped around or other. Uh, fully edited novel, as Tree Lobster says. Um, <laughs> one of the bi- like the biggest thing right now is not even whether you can tell a good story or not. They want to know if you can tell a beginning, middle, and end. Yeah. And if you, you be able can't, to yeah. After that, stuff could be, like, massaged and edited. But if you can't start, continue, and finish a story, that's, that's, that's the basics. So there's a lot of people with great ideas. But, like, going back to Woman on the Train, it's like, they say she sold her very first book for a fuck ton of money with an idea. And I'm like, if you follow her rules, then you... Two say you can walk into a completely dark room, throw a dart, and hit a bullseye. I mean, if everybody goes into that room with a dart, eventually someone's going to hit a bullseye. But also, she, she had other writing credits before did she? that, though. I, okay. I would, I'm fairly sure she did. Yeah, I don't think she like came out of the woodwork. Yeah. So sometimes you're, you know, yeah, you you've written a few fa- a few stories and this and that, and you're sitting talking to an agent or talking to an editor, and they're like, hey, yeah, you write that and send it to me. You know, I mean, Although, I can see that. there is the path to getting an agent. It's super easy, guys. You you write a short story that gets a Hugo nomination. And then the agents will come after you. So it's just yeah. that easy. Yeah, that's, that's, all you that, that, that's how you get an agent without being a novelist, is you write a short story that gets Hugo nomination. Because yeah, they're all like... A novel. You still then have to write beginning, middle, yes. end. Show that you can write a novel, um, or at least a novella. Nowadays, though, you can write a novella and then you sell to tour. Um, so yeah. there you go. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh, th- that's the only time I've seen people who don't have a novel get an agent because agents will sniff after the short story writers. Even yeah. though short story is a very different thing than a novel, but yeah. They're looking for new voices, you know, and agents, uh, again, they love to say, I discovered the next. Yeah. You know, so um, just like just like editors do. So yeah, they do. And uh, cons is you know to meet newer writers and uh, to go to readings and to discover people. You know, yeah. I mean that is actually they do. So, but again, I say discovery, and I've had this happen to many people. Many say, oh yeah, when you finish that book, you should send it to me, and they have not finished the book. Uh, it's all well and good to make an agent. But yeah, get out the right beginning, middle, end, and you gotta have something to show them. So yeah. Um, Zach says I would love an agent come after me, neck deep in very kind rejections at the moment. Um, if I had set this up properly, Zach, I would have hit the yay button for you because I celebrate rejections because working writers get them. Non-working writers, people who have dreams and don't yeah. actually do the work, 
They're the ones who don't get rejected. They're the only ones who don't get rejected. So if you're getting rejections, you are a working writer. You're just not getting paid yet. So remember that getting rejections is awesome. Kind rejections, even better because it's personal. Yes, it sucks. But what it's indicative of is you're doing the job. And trust me, please, please trust me. If an agent comes after you and you have any sense of red flag that you might not be working with them perfectly well to fix your career, don't sign. Please, please don't sign. And I'm saying this from experience. I'm saying this from, ooh, someone's interested in me. I will sign with them. Again, we're going back to the interpersonal relationships. You don't marry someone because they asked you out at a dance. You got to make sure that they're right for you. And it's so much worse to, to marry someone you danced with once than it is to walk around single and look for the right person. Trust me. It's, it's agents have come after me. It's not always the best thing. You're getting kind rejections. You're doing the right thing. Keep going, please. I beg you. Do not do what I did. I'll stop talking now. You Mer Cameron. I say bless your heart because Mer, uh, we can tell people this all we want and I've been I saying know. it for I know what if I were to hear some cranky old mid-list writer when I was <laughs> don't sign with the first agent it's all gonna I'd be like well you're just old and bitter you don't old know better. my my experience oh, is gonna be different my experience will be different and I would sign with the first agent yeah or again the agent that I felt that yeah that I you know, oh, well, this is an agent who has sold books from people that I know, so it must be fine. Um, yeah. So, yeah. You're right. I, I think so much, of our, so much of our experience, right, the things that we learn, it is just you fail, right? You fail and you learn failure. I mean, that's the writing. That's how we learn to write. That's how we learn about a lot of the business things. It's not just talking to other writers, but frankly, it's talking to other writers after I failed and being like, did I fail for a good reason or does everyone feel this way? Like most of us feel that way. And you're like, Oh, thank God. And then you feel yeah. better. And yeah. yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Cause I probably would be watching this and go by like, <laughs> but that agent oh, yeah. following me is really the right person. Do this. Yeah. And just being like, you old people. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Uh, since I'm new to conventional publishing, I specifically targeted junior or associate agents who were interested in SFF and humor, figured they had a smaller backlog and were motivated to sign new talent. Um, I agree, Tree Lobsters. I uh, Early in your career, when you go with somebody who's newer, they're hungry, you're hungry, it's a good thing. If you can land Stephen King's agent, that's great, but do you think they're going to give you the kind of attention they give Stephen King? No! I once signed with Candace Bushnell's agent. Candace Bushnell, you know who she is? She wrote Sex in the City. So there was an agent who had done a fucking huge deal, and she was a big deal, and she didn't know shit about science fiction and fantasy and hated everything I did. So there was the whole, why did I do that? So, yeah, it's it's like even if you have an agent who's totally legit and has made tons of money for tons of people, they may not like your stuff or know how to sell your stuff. But on in my defense, I didn't know at the time that when you got orphaned by an agent who quit being an agent, you had options. I didn't know. They didn't tell me. So I just got passed up to somebody. 
who had sold Ooh. Sex in the City, which I quite like, but is not like what anything I write. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, not at all. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I uh, you know my first agent was a very well established, well known uh, agent, um, who I felt was. Um, just kind of phone and then it just mm-hmm. hey book and i'll send you a check send me a book send me a check and was very embedded in the industry uh, uh to a degree which just did not make me happy uh because i was a small fish i was a tiny fish uh i was not what paid you know uh that agent's mortgage um and yeah for my second agent she actually approached me and she was she was young and hungry i think she'd done like she'd been an agent for two years mm-hmm. and it kind of I was like, mm, I don't know. But then I looked and she had done a couple, they were really good deals that she'd done for Epic Fantasy. Um, uh, one was YA. And I said, well, you know, she seems young and hungry. Let's let's see what the idea is that she has, you know, for, for a novel and stuff and see if we're compatible. Um, it turned out to be really incredible for my career. And, and we uh, have, have had a great relationship since. But it is, you have to go, okay, um, how much experience, you know, how, how comfortable am I with the amount of experience that they have? And I will tell you, I know s- several people who I keep trying to get them to fire their agent uh, are with people, well, but they're agent to the stars. And I'm like, well, that's great. What are they doing for you? <laughs> and when they're coming to you asking for advice about where they should send the book next, I think that, that this is not, this is not, what would you like me to do now? You know, I, th- I think that there needs to be a, a much um, more business partnership as opposed to um, just sort of, yeah, just sell, send me a book and I'll try and sell it for you. Oh, didn't sell. Oh, well. Literally sending an email saying, well, here's this book they wrote. Have yeah. a look. Like, oh. So, yeah. yeah. Well, Cameron, I have kept you for an hour and a half. You have been an absolute hero. Thank you for this. We haven't even gotten to the uh, peak career problems, but you are going to be... Yeah, that's all right. I, I know we never even got to it. Hey, there we go. That's good, yeah. though. We, we had lots to talk about. But you're going to be not Matt again in another month. So at I, the end of June, uh, you're coming back. Yep, I, so... Uh, Give up your questions, everybody, and, and I will. my shining face will be back. Yep. Yay! Thank you, Cameron. Uh, tell us where you can f- where you can find you online. You can find me on Twitter at Cameron Hurley or on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Cameron Hurley or CameronHurley.com. It's all under that name, so I'm easy to find. All right. And uh, you can find me. Oops, I made Cameron go away because I looked at another browser. Sorry, Cameron. There we go. That's all better. That was awkward. Um, and this whole streaming thing. It's awkward tools, I swear. I was looking to see if anybody was on that I could raid. So then I just showed everybody the browser I was looking at instead of you. I'm sorry. But hopefully they can still hear you. Um, <clears throat> totally good at this. Merverse.com is where you can find me. Um, Mighty Mer on Twitter and Twitch. And... Um, <clears throat> I'll see you next week with Ursula Vernon on Wednesday the 2nd at 1 o'clock Eastern Daylight Time. And, um, but I'll be back streaming on Monday doing my usual AMA at 1230. 
So uh, thank you, Cameron, so much. And thank you, everybody in chat who kept us going. Good luck. Don't settle for an agent. Make sure you're choosing the right roofer for your house. And uh, we'll be back next time. Telling you that. Yes. Yes. You're not going to listen. We're going to keep telling you that. Because then, you know, when when you screw up and fail and then get knowledge and then like in 10 years, you'll be telling people, hey, look, I didn't listen to Mer and Cameron. You should listen to them and me. And don't go with that agent. That the real time. <laughs> anyway, seriously, guys, good luck with all of your agent hunts. Make the right decision. We're here for you. You can support us at patreon.com slash mighty Ditch diggers! Theme song by Devo Spice. DevoSpice.com